You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mike Brazier, and we've got an update from Canada uh, for you here. Early season update, and I'm super happy to be joined by by one of our favorite guests on this topic, Dr. Scott Stevens. And Scott, I'm going to let you tell us here in a minute where you're you're coming to us from. I might say parts unknown, but but I think we're going to figure that out here in a second. So, Scott, welcome back. It's great to have you. Thanks, Mike. Always happy to join you guys. I am in Independence, Missouri right now, visiting some family and watching my daughter play some volleyball games this fall. We probably would have waited until next week to do this episode if it hadn't been for our schedules kind of being out of sync. You're on, on some annual leave, and, and I'm taking annual leave starting tomorrow, going up to, to Alaska to chase some of the uh, some of the waterfowl that we all care so much about. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to go ahead and get this taken care of today and appreciate you sharing a, a few minutes out of your schedule to do this. And so let's just, let's just start with like a a recap of how much hunting, how much time you've been able to spend out in the field. Uh, thus far, we're recording this here. What is it like October 13th, something like that? Something like that. Yeah. So how much time have you been able to spend out in the field thus far this year? Yeah, I, I got to spend the better part of September. September was a busy month. That was a combination of my own time off to chase birds, a little bit of time with some donors, and then some more time off. So yeah, September, I got to be out there quite a bit. And uh, once we hit October, I've done a little bit of hunting sort of locally around uh, around Stonewall in Manitoba there where I live. So yeah, so I have a few field reports I can share. Well, good deal. I, and probably what I'll do is just back up and for people that may be tuning in for their first time, it's Dr. Scott Stevens. You're with Ducks Unlimited Canada. Your office is up there at Okamak Marsh. You're a frequent guest and, and share a lot of great updates from the prairies with us, uh, both uh, habitat-wise as well as hunting-wise and a whole host of other things, conservation work that we're doing up there. And appreciate you being a source of, of valuable information and, and great entertainment as well, I might say. So, so <laughs> yeah, uh, Maybe more of the latter than the former. Well, we'll take it <laughs> Okay, sounds good. So let's go back to kind of early September. You you love to go after blue wings, and and I'll be honest, I can always watch your social media feed to see to get a gauge on how successful you're you're being. And first couple of hunts that you went on, it looked to me like you didn't really even fill out the bag, or maybe you were just selective in the birds that you were taking photos of. Was it slow to start out with? It was a little bit slow. I I blame my 
myself for that because, you know, last year was fairly dry. I went back to a location that was good last year when we had fairly dry conditions. Water had come up. There wasn't as much of that real shallow habitat that blue wings prefer. So, so the first day I didn't do as well, like two of us were hunting. What I, I ended up killing five birds, limits eight, and uh, my friend got one. So, yeah, the the opening day was was not as good as as typically <laughs> we've grown accustomed to. Now we adjusted, and I moved locations on day two, and uh, that was better. We shot limits of blue wings there, blue wings and a few green wings mixed in, which which isn't unusual, um, even even early, and and then. Then we pulled up stakes, moved to what had been my more traditional location to hunt blue wings. And as soon as I got down there, it's like, oh yeah, conditions are good. There were waves of blue wing teal. We shot a limit pretty quickly on the third day that I hunted there early on. Uh, My hunting partner shot a banded blue wing. So yeah, so, you know, we were hunting Southern Manitoba, not that far from the U.S. border. And this bird was banded in devil's lake uh in 2020 as a as a juvenile bird so okay evidence that there was some production in 2020 so that's a good thing yep. haven't, haven't got any reports of banded birds from 2021 no i'm just kidding I, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know last year we do know it was it was very dry we don't expect there to have been much production but i'm, I'm certain there was some but uh, and we'll yeah. get reports of that but uh, you know I, I do want to talk a little bit about the habitat conditions that i briefly referenced there because that was the big topic um, last year and then as we transitioned into this year we got that great relief in the eastern dakotas southern Manitoba, uh, and that's sort of the, that's where you're hunting. How are those wetland conditions holding up this time of year as we're going into fall? Are there where you, that you, areas that you've seen? Yeah. So it was a good opportunity for me to be out in some of that country. I had not spent a ton of time out there in the spring or summer, but yeah, as I got out there in September, I was, I was actually surprised. Maybe it was just my own expectations you know, conditions were pretty good, but there were there were still places that, you know, there were seasonal wetlands that had dried down. You know, they could have had water in the spring, but they had dried back down. So, you know, my reaction was, oh, still kind of dry, still have dry wetlands, even in southern Manitoba. So, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, we had some recovery from the drought. We didn't have full recovery. And, you know, more water, another big dose of snow would definitely help to refill some of those basins. I've heard reports, I guess that they they run the gradient. I've talked with maybe half a dozen people and and it's it's everywhere from wetlands are still in really good condition to people saying, oh, it's it's all dry again. Or areas that never received the type of uh, type of relief in precipitation that we would hope for. So it's yeah. an, it's right now it sounds like there's it's a mixed bag across that prairie landscape and typically it is. It's very rare as we've talked about numerous times to get that entire landscape in prime wetland condition, you know, with the, with right. all the wetland basins full and a lot of ephemeral temporary wetlands. And so, you know, it's a, yeah. we're, we're heading into a, another one of those times where it's been dry in some areas recently and some, they're starting to dry up and need to always be looking for some of that beneficial rain to fall as you described there. And we'll get reports from other people as we go into the fall. So, and, and you might be one of those as you get out into some of some other locations, but, um, right. Yeah. 
So after teal season, I did spend some time in Saskatchewan. And, uh, you know, I was kind of in Parkland, Saskatchewan, east of Saskatoon. And in that area, uh, I was impressed. Wetland conditions were definitely improved over the previous year. They had picked up water. You know, there were there were still some wetlands that were dry, but they had picked up water and things were improved. And, uh, you know, duck numbers were pretty good around there. Um, I was not chasing ducks. We were hunting cranes in that area. Had good success on cranes. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, as I traveled around that, that area kind of exceeded my expectations a bit. Um, and then from there I was west of Saskatoon hunting mostly white fronts. Conditions were okay there. Still, still some dry wetlands. Yeah. The, the white fronts were interesting. Uh, you know, this is anecdotal, but we had a good hunt on the first day we were there. I think we shot 28 white fronts and only three juveniles. So it was a pretty low, you know, low young to adult ratio. Um, so I, I don't know if that's widespread or, you know, you, you probably have some guests who actually have data from some of those breeding areas. But at least in in our experience, there were not many juveniles in the white front population. We haven't talked with any of those folks yet. I, I don't know if Canadian Wildlife Service and Ray Alisoskis and his group have conducted their roadside surveys up there yet or not. I would I would think they have or getting really close to it if they haven't. But I know I'll see Ray in December and we'll be talking to somebody this afternoon who might be able to give us a bit of a read on some of the production from those uh, Arctic colonies, but uh, from from the breeding grounds for the for white fronts. So we'll we'll have to see on that. It's always interesting to hear these reports. Somebody will say, "It's oh no, very few juveniles." Then once birds begin to uh, begin to accumulate down here, you get reports of a lot of juveniles being harvested. And so uh, right. it's it's tough. It's tough to make. It's tough to draw a confident assessment from a series of anecdotal reports. But it's fun to talk yeah. about nonetheless. Uh, and so I did want to ask you. There was, you know, it was really really hot in. Well, at least down here. How hot did it get up there in September? If I'm remembering correctly, we had like a, a heat wave. And then that, I think, was associated with some discussion about a potential delay in blueing migration. Also, um, late production, you know, a late production year, or maybe just an extended production year owing to a late right. spring and abundant precipitation. Any read on that? What were you seeing in terms of late broods or the state of the of the blue-wing migration out of, out of Canada? Yeah, I, I definitely saw evidence of that late production, you know, driving around, scouting for blue wings in early September. There were still some young broods around, which, you know, they'll be getting on the wing now. But in early September, they were they were still small. Were definitely not flighted birds. So saw some evidence of that. And I'm trying to recall in September. Yeah, we had some warm temps, but um, pretty seasonal throughout September. Um, it's just been recently that we got our first frost. So we were kind of delayed on those temps really cooling down. So that. You know, that probably contributes, I mean, blue wings will migrate. We know, we know they're, they're migrating, you know, as soon as they're in good enough condition to head south, they're an early migrant, but that'll definitely impact movement of other birds. So I, I know this week back home in Southern Manitoba, we're getting cooler temps down below freezing, um, more seasonal temps for this time of year. So 
you know, that, that will start to move birds that, that are motivated by some of that cooler weather. But yeah, definitely saw evidence of, of, you know, late production for blue wings and, and for other species too, um, when I was out in September. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. This is a question out of curiosity. I don't know if you'll have uh, have any like solid insight on this, but if it's a generally late production year, you're shooting blue wings there in early September. Did you notice any difference in the fat content of the birds that you were harvesting? Anything stand out in that regard? Just kind of thinking, you know, if they're not as far along, they may not have accumulated as much of their fat reserves for migration yet. It might show up in some of the birds you harvested. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed that for juvenile birds. Um, you know, when, when you're shooting birds, you know, you're shooting adult birds, especially early on in that area that I tend to hunt, there tends to be a lot of uh, adult males that are kind of usually on the front end of the migration. They were in pretty good shape, you know. They're they're not uh, tethered by the demands of production. So, you know, they're going and molting you know, once, once hens are incubating and those kind of things. So, you know, adult birds tended to be in pretty good shape and juvenile birds, yeah, were, were not super fat. They were probably got on the wing late. We're still accumulating some of those reserves. So, you know, based on my observations, I would predict kind of a more protracted blue wing migration across the continent. Um, you know, I, I suspect we still have blue wings that are moving south out of Canada, even though, you know, many of those early birds have been in places like Mexico for a month. Yeah, I think uh, Chris Jennings was talking with uh, with Kevin Cry about that very facet of blue wing migration, how this time of year, those birds are stretched from the Canadian prairies all the way down to Mexico. And it certainly sounds like that's the case again this year. And, and I did hear some reports out of some of our our um, our supporters, our members up around the Great Lakes, they they had a really slow. I mean, I would probably say, based on what I was hearing from them, their worst teal season ever. They just didn't get the birds, okay. and they were asking me if I had any insight on it. And I just I said I don't know. It's a it's a late production year, an extended production year. It was hot in September. I don't know. It's it's sometimes birds do these things that we can't quite explain. A one-off type of anomaly is is really difficult to put your finger on the cause for it. And so hopefully that was just a hopefully it was just that an anomaly. And hopefully they get birds back next year because it's a place that that does a good job with their management. But they just didn't get the birds. Uh, and they typically do pretty good. So um, yeah, there's always stories like that. And can't always yeah. explain every one of them. Yeah, it's it's become <laughs> this has become a bit of a running joke with me and some of my other colleagues that are in the in the U.S. prairies. You know, we'll we'll joke and say another weird year. Um, <laughs> That's right. You know, which, it's always a weird which, observation. Which, 
Yeah, which, which really means, you know, each year is kind of unique in the environmental conditions and, you know, past conditions set the table for that, like we've talked about on here before. So, yeah, it's, they're all pretty unique and, you know, you don't have many back-to-back years that are super similar in terms of, you know, phenology of migration and environmental conditions. And, you know, there's just so many factors that go in and influence bird movement, Um so it's it's not surprising when you step back and think about it, but but yeah, when people experience such a difference year to year, it's striking. What did you see in terms of juvenile to adult ratio? I guess in the in your bag and in what you harvested, uh, let's say compared to last year, was it a pretty stark difference? Yeah, there was definitely a difference. I mean, there were more juvenile birds around um, this year compared to last year. Um, you know, there were still juvenile birds last year, but, you know, I, I would say it was much more common to, to see juvenile birds this year. And, you know, that matches up with, with what we predicted given environmental conditions. Did that hold true for other species? Let's say when you went into Saskatchewan and maybe had an opportunity to, to target some other, other species, did you see good number of juveniles in your harvest out there? I've heard mixed reports from different locations, so I'm curious what you're seeing. Yeah, we did. We we didn't do a ton of duck hunting, you know, but but we definitely picked up juvenile birds. Um, you know, like there was a flock of gadwall who, you know, we removed some members of the flock and they made another pass. And uh, I, I think I think the whole flock ended up in the bag. So you you know that that's indicative of you know juvenile birds and and lots of production. But yeah, we had we had juvenile mallards, juvenile pintails. There were, there were good numbers of pintails too. So they, they looked like they had pretty good production. So yeah, I, I think definitely signals that as we expected production was definitely improved this year over last year. And, and, you know, I'll be a little, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll throw this out there. It's just based on two or three data points, kind of verbal data points, the, the consistent theme that I've heard among the handful of reports seems to be that there's evidence of good, well, there's evidence of pretty strong juvenile numbers for people hunting in Canada. But then I've heard some reports out of the the Dakotas, not necessarily hunting-based reports, more based on observations and experiences from some of the banding crews, just a handful of banding crews. So this isn't representative of, of, of all of them, but that they had a, they struggled to get juvenile birds or struggled to, to capture birds at all. And kind of hard to know exactly what's going on there. I haven't talked to a whole lot of folks about that. So it's just a bit of a snapshot, but I did, the people that have hunted in Canada that I've talked to, they're seeing a fair number of juveniles, which as you said, is consistent with our expectation. And, and that's a, that's a good thing. It's a little difficult to know how to square that with the observations of um, of kind of tough sledding there in the Dakotas, at least with banding. But maybe it's not. Maybe if you got more water, the birds are spread out and still dealing with a recovering population. Maybe maybe there's something going on there. I don't know. Yeah, I guess the the other thought that I'd offer on that front is you know the the time between when birds are produced and actually fledge and get on the wing, and when we capture them and band them is is probably the portion of the life cycle that we understand the least about movements during that time period. So, you know, I, I know we see evidence of, you know, once we band a bird, so it's on the wing and we band a bird in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, you could shoot that bird in Saskatchewan, you know, that year. 
So, you know, whether there was production in North Dakota that once birds were on the wing, they might they migrated north, you know, to take advantage of good conditions in southern Manitoba or wherever they might find them. You know, birds are, especially ducks and geese are just amazing in their ability to sample habitats and move across landscapes and, you know, figure those things out. So, so that's what I'd offer, you know, that it could be stuff like that going on. You know, North Dakota could have had, you know, hypothetically phenomenal production. But, you know, if if those birds moved around and found great conditions for stocking up on food a little bit north, you know, might be hard to come up with juveniles once you're trying to ban birds. So, yeah, it's it's always interesting. That is a interesting time of year. I know we're getting some information on birds from some of the satellite transmitters that we have out now from that time of the year. But, I would argue that's the time of the life cycle that we have the least amount of data and the the poorest understanding of what really goes on. I think you're right, Scott. And I've heard some of those same observations uh, that that we're getting from some of those studies. There's a number of those types of studies that are underway, and it's going to be really intriguing over the next few years to see those data come in, see those uh, that that information summarized and and begin to fill in that gap that you're talking about. So pretty cool stuff there. And yeah. and let's see, as we wanna I wanna start wrapping this up, but I guess what I would what I want to the the one thing I want to get your assessment of to the best that you can offer it right now. How would you characterize the the migration phenology this year, like kind of where it stands right now? You're starting to see, I've heard reports of of geese starting to build in numbers there in the prairies and maybe some other birds, uh, mallards, perhaps more northern uh, breeding birds starting to accumulate in the prairies. And I know white fronts are on their way. We've heard reports of them overhead down here around Memphis here in recent days. What's the status of the migration as you can kind of offer it right now? Yeah, well, I can definitely support, provide some supporting evidence or anecdotes that, yes, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I really saw, you know, locally around me there in southern Manitoba, I saw Canada geese build in the area that I'm in. And, um, you know, we were out, did some hunting, harvested some birds, actually shot two banded birds. Um, They were both banded uh, as young, when too young to fly this August in Churchill, um, Manitoba, which, you know, that's a, those were Canada's. Yep. So that's a primary breeding location for many of the migrant Canada geese that come through our area. Those birds will push South and probably winter here in Missouri. Um, but you know, evidence that those birds were kind of moving out of the Arctic and stacking in and, and, uh, you know, numbers were building there like at Okamak Marsh where, where our office is. So definitely saw evidence of that. Um, you know, I, similar things are going on for, you know, mallards and, and big ducks and things like, things like that too. So, you know, migration is progressing and, and those kind of things are happening. You know, now it'll be weather dependent. Um, you know, as we get some of those cooler temps, that'll, that'll motivate some birds to, to move out, you know, and hearkening back to our discussion about weird year, um, you know, what, what has, influence some of that for for geese and and ducks too probably in in manitoba and across the prairies is harvest was a bit behind schedule um so still lots of grain in the field standing that the birds don't really have access to so you know 
farmers are busy taking that off. That's providing more food resources. So, you know, that, that will influence how long the birds hang around too. So, you know, there'll be a bunch of fields with newly harvested grain that they'll have access to that could hold birds until the temperatures start to really drop and, you know, create impetus for them to move. So, you know, all of those things are in the mix, but yeah, I, I, I would say overall, it seems like we're seeing birds, an influx of birds and, you know, and, and bird concentrations increasing in Southern Canada, which, which they should be doing this time of the year. And still a number of cranes around over in Saskatchewan from what you're hearing? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a while since I was over there chasing cranes, but, and they, they tend to be an early migrant, you know, in a, in a typical year, in a not weird year, um, we would expect crane numbers to be waning now and birds to be heading south. Um, so I, I expect that's probably happening, especially as, as the temperatures begin to, to dip below the freezing mark. Um, you know, cranes will be moving out and, you know, things like more Northern mallards and, uh, and Canada geese will be moving in and, and, setting up shop. So that's, that's normal, I would say. Yeah. That was the nature of my question because this time period, mid-October, second, third week of October is typically the, the time frame that we would target for our hunts to Saskatchewan because we wanted to be, we didn't want to be so late that we missed out on the cranes, but we didn't want to be so early that we missed out on some of those, some of those Northern mallards and maybe some of the accumulating uh, snow geese or, or other geese from the Arctic um, colonies. And, and so, it, but it's a gamble, especially on the cranes, because if you get a strong cold snap in early October, those birds are going to skedaddle out of the out of the prairies. And so it certainly sounds like it's, you're probably not dealing with a super early year in terms of cold weather, uh, especially if you just just got your first frost here recently. So yeah, yeah about about normal maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. You, you do kind of have to pick and choose, you know, I'll admit I haven't really hunted mallards in earnest yet because they're, you know, just beginning to get fully colored up there in Southern part of Prairie Canada. So, you know, I, I, I have more interest in chasing the birds once they're plumed up and I can, you know, it's easy to select drakes and those kind of things. I've shot a few birds, um, but they were still working on, you know, that molt and, and growing in their, their uh, plumage to, to look like we expect them to look once they arrive on wintering areas. So, yeah, so you, you, you kind of have to choose if you want to shoot early migrants, you know, you can shoot cranes, you know, even things like, like camasbacks tend to be an early migrant in our part of the world and they'll, they'll be moving out and their numbers are probably waning now, kind of like the cranes. So, you know, depending on what species you're really after, you know, that influences timing of when you go and when you focus on them. Scott, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. I appreciate you taking some time out of your, your annual leave, your vacation, and passing on my thanks to your family for allowing you to spend a, spend a few minutes with us here. Uh, I'll let you get back to your vacation and, and hope you all have a, a great rest of the week. And once you get back to Canada, get back out in the field, collect some more data for us, and we'll check in uh, probably sometime in November. Whenever we finally get a, you know, that, that, 
strong cold snap that we hope is going to come through and really changes things on the landscape, we'll get back in touch with you and see how things are at that point. Sound okay? Yep, that sounds good. A very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Scott Stevens. As always, we appreciate the insight that he brings to us from the Canadian Prairies this time of year. We thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great job he does on these episodes, and we thank you, the listener, for joining us and for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.